Welcome to More Than Medicine, where Jesus is more than enough for the ills that plague our culture and our country. Hosted by author and physician, Dr. Robert Jackson, with his wife, Carlotta, and daughter, Hannah Miller. So listen up, because the doctor is in. Welcome to More Than Medicine. I'm your host, Dr. Robert Jackson. And I am his wife, Carlotta Jackson. We are bringing to you biblical insights and tales from the country doctor's rusty, dusty scrapbook. Today, we want to talk about some books. I believe that we have done this once before. We actually do this recording of this radio show and podcast in Robert's study, which is also a library with every shelf full of books. In our bedroom, we have a bookshelf. Well, no, we have two bookshelves and 25 books stacked in the corner. And then we have bookshelves scattered all over the house, and especially up in our former schoolroom. There are books. So we love to read Robert more than me. I just finished reading and Alfred Langsing's book called Endurance, which was the story of Ernest Shackleton's adventure towards the South Atlantic when his uh, ship and his comrades were going to cross the Antarctic overland, but they got caught in ice and were crushed. The boat was crushed, and they got off and floated on ice packs and flows for months. And then he finally made a treacherous trip with one or two other men in one of the little lifeboat kind of boats and came back and rescued all of his men. It was quite the story. And now I am reading Hamilton's Curse by Thomas J. DiLorenzo. And I have decided that I am a Jeffersonian, certainly not a Hamilton person, because Jeffersonian, Jefferson favored a limited government while Hamilton favored a big government. And Jefferson was president. Hamilton was not. But Hamilton's principles have prevailed in our country. Sad to say. Let's see. So many books, so little time. That's right. I was going to say that. (laughs) I'll beat you to it. One book Robert is not going to discuss, but he read that our daughter in uh, Pennsylvania recommended is The Truth and Beauty by Andrew Clavin. And I think I'm going to be reading that one next. The subtitle is How the Lives and Works of England's Greatest Poets Point the Way to a Deeper Understanding of the Words of Jesus. And my daughter said it was fascinating, and you enjoyed it as well, right? Oh, it was a fascinating book. And, of course, I love the writings of the poets of England and the, the just the great writings of the, the poets. And they he, this this guy was a completed Jew. The author was a completed Jew. He tells his story how he became a believer, and he um, is a he's not just an author, but he's a English professor. I guess that's the way I should describe okay. him. And uh, so he takes his expertise as an English professor, and he discusses the background of the writings of Keats. Browning, Shelley, and others like them. And and it's fascinating because he talks about their personal lives and how they all interacted and how some of them came to faith in Christ and some did not and how the themes of the Scripture were interwoven in their books and their poetry. And I just found it a fascinating read. And I won't go into it any more than that, but I, I, I do think it's a fascinating 
reading. What was the title again? The Truth and Beauty by wow. Andrew Clavin. Clavin, yeah. I, I highly recommend it. Now, I, the man's not a theologian, so there's some things that were in there that I thought was a little wonky theologically, but the most of it I thought was very insightful. And his understanding of current culture and how Scripture affects current culture, I found that to be quite fascinating as well. So Robert decided that he wanted to make some comments about several of the books that he has read this year. And one that he set aside was The Truth and Beauty that he was not going to discuss, but I brought it up. And then we have John Grisham's book, Gray Mountain. I think he has read most of John Grisham's books, but we won't talk about that. Yeah, that was just a fun book. Yes. And I I do like reading fun books, and John Grisham is one of the authors that I I like to read when I'm ready to put my brain in neutral and just have Read a fun book. Right. But the first book I believe you want to discuss is The Real Anthony Fauci by Bobby Kennedy, Robert Robert F. Kennedy Kennedy. Jr. As as most folks know, Kennedy's a Democrat, comes from a Democrat family. Um, But he's been in charge of the Children's Health Defense uh, Organization for a long time. And he's been a, a researcher about Anthony Fauci for decades um, and so when the COVID pandemic became an issue, um, he put all of his years of research into a book entitled The Real Anthony Fauci. The subtitle is Bill Gates, Big Pharma, and the Global War on Democracy and Public Health. And basically, this book reveals the connection between academia, Big Pharma, the alphabet organization, CDC, NIH, FDA, and how all of these have colluded to produce a vaccine that's not safe, not effective, and does not prevent transmission of the virus, and how so many of these folks who are in the the heads of these organizations are making a lot of money, and how they're deceiving the public. And it's very well documented. Uh, It's very well researched. And Robert Kennedy has done an amazing job. Just a few words from the uh, flyleaf says this. As director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, NIAID, Dr. Anthony Fauci dispenses $6.1 billion in annual taxpayer-provided funding for scientific research allowing him to dictate the subject, content, and outcome of scientific health research across the globe. Fauci uses the financial clout at his disposal to wield extraordinary influence over hospitals, medical universities, journals, and thousands of influential doctors and scientists whose careers and institutions he has the power to ruin or advance or reward. And Kennedy documents carefully many doctors and scientists whose careers have been advanced or ruined by Anthony Fauci. And then it goes on to talk about the well-documented book that Kennedy has written. And it's a fascinating read. Uh, It's not an easy read because some of it is very technical, Um, and I would, I would challenge every physician, every scientist, and everyone interested in what's been happening behind the scenes to, scenes to get a copy of the real Anthony Fauci. 
I began my medical career trusting the CDC and the NIH and the FDA. But the COVID crisis, as it unfolded, I began to realize that their pronouncements didn't jive with what I was seeing in my medical practice. For example, Dr. Fauci, the CDC, and the NIH dismissed ivermectin as ineffective horse paste, which my patients were uh, were taking and were recovering rapidly without side effects from COVID. When they were prescribed ivermectin and the anti-inflammatory vitamin regimen. He continued to promote the so-called vaccine despite ever-increasing evidence of ineffectiveness and serious adverse side effects. Well, I would also like to say that there's a movie out that just came out like last week entitled The Real Anthony Fauci. I watched that movie in its almost its entirety last night, And I would like to say that it's very close to uh, the book. Uh, Of course, it's very abbreviated, uh, but it gives folks who are non-readers a good idea of what's in the book. And I would say that it's uh, a good substitute. It can be found on Rumble, and just go to rumble.com and look for the real Anthony Fauci movie. And it'll provide for you what you're looking for. How do I know that that movie is a is a good substitute? Because it's been under cyber attack from the left, and it's been taken down multiple times in the last few days. That usually indicates that the progressive left hates this movie. And that tells you it's something that you really do want to see, and you want to pass it on to your friends. All right. The next book. The next book is Them Before Us by Katie Faust and Stacy Manning, a book that was recommended to us by another daughter, Hannah Miller. And I have read this book as well, and it kind of turned some of my thinking upside down. <laughs> it sure did. And it is about, though the subtitle for it is Why We Need a Global Children's Rights Movement. And at first I thought, Uh, I'm not so sure about this. They're talking about children having precedence over uh, their parents making their parents' decisions and that what they want to do as a 10-year-old is more important than what a parent chooses for them to do as a 10-year-old. But that's not it at all. The gist of it is that it is about children's rights to to parents, a man and a woman. A mother and a father. A mother and a father. And yes, the biological mother biological and father. mother and father. That's right. It, the book dispels many prevalent harmful myths, and one of them being children are resilient and will get over divorce. Mm-hmm. And she talks about case after case where children really do suffer. And I remember a song we used to sing, Children are the Broken Pieces. That's right. The, um, they are the broken pieces of divorce, even remarriage. They're the broken pieces for transgender marriages, homosexual marriages, yes, and, and all manner of aberrant relationships. And one myth that I'm just looking at here on the back of the book, that kids need only love and safety, that moms and dads are optional. But they prove that that is not true. Well, and what's so amazing is that 
even though she's a pastor's wife and a child's rights advocate, in this book, she doesn't resort to the Scripture, even though that's her foundation. This book is written with statistics. Mm-hmm. It's uh, She resorts purely to statistical analysis to uh, shore up her considerations for the right of children to have a biological mom and dad. Now, the other thing that I found fascinating was that she had scores of testimonies from adult children of broken marriages or aberrant relationships amongst parents. In vitro fertilization. Yeah, well, that's right. Surrogacy. was uh, surrogacy and children born from in vitro fertilization who had no identity. They had no idea who their parent was. And they they kept saying that uh, 50% of my identity was gone. And even though they had parents who loved them, they still felt like something was missing. That was what was interesting to me. Yes. Yeah. In fact, they said that all of their life they felt like something was awry yeah. and something was missing. And and their testimonies in this book is fascinating to listen to these adult children talk about the things that were just not right. Listen, we all intuitively know that the needs of our children should come before that of the parents. But there are some established and accepted institutional norms that this pastor's wife and children's advocate methodically destroys with statistics and children's testimonies. Societally accepted norms like single parenting, same-sex union parenting, transgender parenting, donor conception, surrogacy, abortion, and the emotional, psychological impact upon children that these socially accepted practices have upon children. The stories from the children are heartbreaking. The statistics that she's accumulated are overwhelmingly in favor of adults sacrificing their selfish desires to put the needs of the children first. For for example, let me just give you a, a couple of the instances that I found that were I found fascinating. In a Canadian preschool, these authors looked at children who suffered fatal beatings between 1974 and 1990. They discovered that those children who were broken marriages and then there was a an adult in the home that was not their biological parent, that those children were 120 times more likely to be beaten to death by their stepdad or a live-in boyfriend than they were at the hand of their genetic father. What an amazing statistic. And then another one that, that I found to be fascinating was this talking about cohabiting couples a kid's unmarried biological parent child outcomes still suffer compared to children living with married parents children with unmarried parents are three times more likely to see their parents break up 
They're four times more likely to suffer physical, sexual, and emotional abuse, four times more likely to live in poverty, and more likely to use drugs, suffer from depression, or drop out of school. So cohabiting is not the answer, and it leads to all manner of physical, sexual, emotional abuse, psychological abuse, and then just one more before I go to the next book. This is a testimony from one child. It was an adult woman who um, donated her own eggs, and she discovered five years later after she donated her own eggs that she personally had been conceived using donated sperm. As soon as she found herself viewing donor conception from the child's perspective, the reality of her missing biological parent manifested in intense genealogical bewilderment. Now, that phrase is amazing to me, genealogical bewilderment. She describes her disorientation this way. I feel like I can't discuss my conception with anyone because nobody would understand. I don't understand. Some of these feelings I know are not rational, yet I can't help feeling the way I do. I feel like I don't know who I am. I feel like I am not real. I feel like a science experiment. I feel like I am a fraud. That testimonial is amazing. And all I'm saying to you is the book, Them Before Us, is full of testimonials just like that. And and I would encourage you as, a, as my listener to get a copy of that book by Katie Faust and Stacy Manning. And if you're like me, you won't be able to put it down. I, I really couldn't. It, it was such an amazing book. What's our next one? The next one is Madhouse at the End of the Earth by Julian Sancton, another book that Rebecca recommended to us. I have not read it yet, but Robert has. And the it, on the back of it, it mentions the book Endurance, the first book that I mentioned by <laughs> Albert Lansing several times, because it's also a book about um, a trip to Antarctica. Yep. Well, it's a fascinating read. I couldn't put it down. and It must have occurred before... Shackleton's trip. Yes, it did. This one occurred in the uh, late 1800s, and um, it was Shackleton's a was in 1914-15. Yeah, uh, 1897 was when it took place, and a, a Belgian com- commandant, his last name was Gerlache, and he set sail on a three-year expedition aboard the good ship Belgica, and his dream was to go to the end of the earth, down to Antarctica. And he got there, and there were a bunch of setbacks. So he got there late. And so he was faced with a terrible decision to turn back with shame, disappointment, disappoint the financial backers, or to press on late in the season and try to get to his goal. Well, he made a bad decision. And he pressed on late in the season, and guess what happened? His boat and his men were locked in the ice late in the season. Just like Shackleton. That's right. And they had to spend the entire winter in the darkness, locked in the ice. And fortunately for them, the ice did not crush their boat. But they descended in the darkness, gloom, despair, depression. And the men began to experience madness. Mm -hmm. And that's why the title is... Madhouse at the end of the earth. That was interesting because Shackleton's men did not. 
and they get a, got along incredibly well and worked well, together, and every single one of them survived. Well, partly because these men didn't know what Shackleton's men knew, and what right. Shackleton's men knew was because of this expedition. Uh-huh. Okay, and part of it was these men began to go blind, uh-huh. and they they were experiencing a vitamin A deficiency. They did understand because of mm-hmm. uh, vitamin deficiency and whatnot. And so they began to experience all manner of physical illnesses that led to depression and psychoses and things like that. Well, one of the men on the trip was a doctor, Dr. Frederick Cook. He had spent a a winter up with the Eskimos, I think in Greenland. I, I'm, I'm not sure about that, but it was the north eastern part of Canada or either Iceland or Greenland but he he had been with the indigenous Indians I think Eskimos but they didn't have this problem so he was sitting in the darkness in this ice-bound ship and he began to ponder what was it about their diet that prevented them from having deficiencies that caused night blindness and he said it had to be something in the seal blubber that they ate so he told the men Go find as many seals as you can. We're going to kill them and eat them. And they had Mm. to eat them raw. Mm. But they did, and within weeks, all of their night blindness was healed. Okay. And, of course, he didn't know what it was, but he he was a physician, and he deduced that it had to be a dietary deficiency. Right. And so they all got better. So, anyway, it's a fascinating read, and one of the guys on the trip was Raoul Amundsen, who later went to the North Pole. And he became famous, Frederick Cook, because of some later uh, character flaws and things that he got involved with. He ended up in prison, and all of that's a part of the, the book. And, and it's, it's a fascinating read, and how they actually extricated themselves from the ice, I won't tell you, because that'll give away a big part of the book. You're going to have to read the book, Madhouse at the End of the Earth by Julian Sancton. All right. The next book is Dissolving Illusions, which I believe you are reading right now. You have almost finished it. Yeah, I'm, I'm down to the last chapter. It's Disease, Vaccines, and the Forgotten History by Suzanne Humphreys and Roman Bistranik. Yep, yep. Something like that. Yep. Well, let me tell you, this book will blow your mind. Now, some of most of this, I have to say, as a physician, I already knew. But I'm going to tell you, most lay people do not know what's in this book. The author is a nephrologist, and she started off probably 15 years ago, maybe more, with a keen observation that many of her kidney patients, her nephrology patients, after receiving a flu shot, would suddenly have deterioration in their renal function, their kidney function. She found that to be concerning, so she began to do research on it, and sure enough, Lots of her patients during flu season would have a sudden deterioration in kidney function after receiving a flu shot. So she did extensive research and found that it was not unique to her hospital or just to her personal medical practice, but it was something that was happening nationwide, but nobody was commenting on it. Nobody was going against the flow or upstream. So she brought it to the attention of the med- chief medical officer at her hospital, and he laughed her to scorn. She then made a presentation to the medical staff at her hospital, and she was again laughed to scorn. 
So that started her on a journey of researching all immunizations. And of course, anybody that's up to speed on this stuff knows that all childhood communicable diseases practically disappeared before vaccines appeared on the market because of increased and improved sanitation and improved diet slash nutrition, measles, smallpox, mumps, diphtheria, um, every every just name just name any of them, they were all practically gone, ninety nine percent gone because of improved sanitation and improved nutrition. These diseases are still rampant in third world countries where sanitation and nutrition are an issue. And then she goes into all the vaccines, how they were produced, their side effects, and the cover-up connection between drug manufacturers and academia. And I'm telling you, when I read that book, I kept saying to myself, this sounds just like today with COVID, the cover-up, the collusion between Fauci, academia, big pharma, and big money people. I could not believe what I was reading. The title of the book is Dissolving Illusions. It's by Suzanne Humphreys and Roman Bistrianic, and I I D-double-dog dare you to read this book. It's not so technical that you won't understand it. And the last book is Slave by John MacArthur. Robert just recently bounced off of it to preach a deacon ordination service for a good friend. We're no longer slaves to sin, but we are slaves to Christ. That's exactly right. Well, here's the interesting thing. John MacArthur, as you know, is pastor of a famous church out in uh, California. And his point is this, The word for slave in the New Testament is doulos. That word is translated servant or bondservant in the King James Version of the Bible in most modern translations. But in the Septuagint and most other prior translation, that word doulos is translated slave. And he explains that during the era of the King James Version, that that word slave had a connotation, a very negative socio-political connotation because of slavery in Britain and in the colonies, and also because slave connoted someone who was in prison for a crime and was being held in shackles. So because of that reason, the word doulos was translated servant in the King James Bible. But when you read the Bible, if you translate doulos, bondservant, or servant into the accurate translation slave, it turns the whole New Testament into a total different understanding. Read the parables. Read the New Testament. Read where Paul tells us that he is a bondservant. Oh no, a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. Read the parables where Jesus talks about being a slave to the master and where In the New Testament, Paul talks about himself being a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the first century, there were many writers who saw themselves as fellow slaves of Christ, like Ignatius and Polycarp, who said, bind your loose robes and serve as God's slaves in reverential fear and truth. And Augustine, who said, does your Lord not deserve to have you as his trustworthy slave? So you see, 
This is a worthwhile read, and it will turn your understanding of the New Testament completely upside down. Well, we've run out of time, and these are some books that I've read this last year, and I commend them to your reading. You've been listening to More Than Medicine, and I'm your host, Dr. Robert Jackson. Thank you for listening to this edition of More Than Medicine. For more information about the Jackson Family Ministry, Dr. Jackson's books, or to schedule a speaking engagement, go to their Facebook page, Instagram, or their webpage at jacksonfamilyministry.com. This podcast is produced by Bob Sloan Audio Production at bobsloan.com.